was that if I took my life or something like that, that, well, that, that, that floored me because I had never, I hadn't been suicidal through the process. Um, that, to me, that's a different category than what I was dealing with. Um, but I was, I was in depression. Now, with that being said, I know pastors uh, that, that deal with depression and deal with suicidal thoughts. Um, I know these guys. Um, a- after, after that event happened, um, I've been even talking to a, 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 a pastor that is really not in a good place. Because I, I think it, it, um, I think it scared his wife, and uh, and so I, I just want to I want to pray for this. I, I I I'm being vague, purpose. Not that you guys know anything what I'm talking about, but but I'm in conversations with guys right now that that they know I've dealt with this, and so um, they're they're needing some help, and they're reaching out, and the reaching out is the most difficult part. For a pastor, you, you may not see it this way, you may not understand this, but for a pastor to say out loud, um, I'm dealing with depression, is a very difficult thing. When I, when I was dealing with that back, in, back when I was dealing with that, I, at, a, at a pastor board retreat, I told all my board and all our pastors on staff that I've been dealing with this for a few years. It was a very difficult, um, it took me about four hours to say two or three sentences. Uh, I, I couldn't get it out. I was just bawling, crying, and and um, they they had no idea. I mean, they, I, I shouldn't say they had no idea. They all kind of knew something wasn't jiving, right? You know, but they didn't know what. And they were extremely supportive. All my staff was very supportive. All the board was very supportive. And um, about seven, eight years, seven, eight years, seven, eight months later, um, maybe close to a year later, I did a sermon series on it. And I, and I laid everything out that I processed and learned, not everything, but, but major chunks of the stuff. And I had people leave the church over that. They, they said to me, um, Pastor, I can't go to a church where the pastor is dealing with depression. Now, now let me explain that just a little bit. And I know what they're saying is, as a, as a spiritual leader or whatever, however you process that term or that category, that um, if I'm truly, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit or all these things, that, that you, can't, you can't have depression and have all those other things. And by the way, 10 years before that, I probably would have leaned very strongly toward that philosophy. Not totally, but um, in the back of my mind, I probably would have thought, well, they just need to pray more or something. And, uh, and the reality is, is no, it's, it's something that can affect anybody. Uh, it's, you, you, I, I really do believe that most, of, most like 90% of w- what causes depression is you. You're making decisions, you're doing things, you're getting yourself into traps mentally, emotionally, um, spiritually. You're getting yourself to a place, you know, usually it's uh, stress and fatigue, all those things. Uh, expectations, a lot of different elements of this. And... And you, Satan plants the seeds, and, and your, your lifestyle waters those seeds, right, because of that. But I also know that, that at the end of the day, Satan's going to try to attack you with anything. And some of this is, is chemical. Some of it's physiological in, in, in the way your body is. 
had a friend of mine years ago that, that would never eat um, chocolate or drink coffee. He said, because it messed with him uh, mentally and emotionally too much. Put him on. Well, I get that. There's, there's some very legitimate chemical things and even things we can do with our diet and stuff like that. Um, uh, that, that can be, that we can change stuff, okay? But it is, it is very difficult for a pastor to say to a congregation that they're dealing with this. Because specifically in Pentecostal slash charismatic groups, that's considered uh, spiritual immaturity or even sin. And, uh, and it's very difficult for a pastor to come out and say some of that stuff. I just, I know, and, and I was not, I was not laboring under those pretenses that my church was going to. In fact, it kind of surprised me that, that some people left the church. Because our, our church in Strasbourg wasn't that, it wasn't a pretentious kind of place. It, it didn't, didn't have a lot of over-spirituality and, and religiosity that can happen in some churches. I mean, it just didn't. And, and so it kind of caught me off guard. But uh, that's challenging for, for guys to do. And so a lot of the problems that these, that these pastors have, uh, they can't get better because they can't talk about it. They can't admit it. They can't go there. And, and I, can give you, I can give you examples right now. These pastors will tell their wives, you do not talk to people about this. It is nobody else's business. Don't do it, and which makes it worse because now she's trapped too. She's trapped in the in a pit along with him, because he chained her there. He may have he may have got there in a lot of different ways, but he drags her into it and chains her there with him. It's very difficult. So I'd like to pray. I'm a couple guys in particular right now that just are very heavy on my spirit, very very heavy on my spirit, and I'm praying for them constantly and knowing you know this this pastor that committed suicide it has been a wake-up call to some pastors and they're saying now I've been getting phone calls and emails around here pastor are you okay I'm fine okay thank you for the call I'm not I'm not making fun of that I'm not making light thank you for the calls thank you for the emails all those kind of things but I'm okay right but I know some guys that are not although I I probably would have said that, ex- well, I would have said that exact same thing when I was in depression years ago. I would have said, I'm fine. I'm good. But I, I'm, I mean it now. It's true. I'm good. Just, the best thing is ask my wife. Ask the spouse. Always ask the spouse. <clears throat> she may not tell you, but you can pick up sometimes on things. So, so let's pray for uh, some of these guys. God, we lift them up to you. God, I know that in their spirit they're hurting so much right now. They don't know what to do about this. And so, God, I ask you to just wash through their minds and their their hearts with your Holy Spirit and let them realize that verbalizing this is not a negative. It's it's not an an assessment of the maturation or, or depth of spirit or something else. God, I, I rebuke that lie in the name of Jesus. God, I pray against any kind of insecurities or fear or pride or anything that would, that would keep them from um, looking and getting some help. 
And I got some of the things that I'm engaged with right now. Lord, I ask you to give me wisdom and direction on um, what to do. Lord, we commit it all to you. These are your people. These are your guys. And Lord, you're hurting for them more than they can know, but they gotta, they got to see that. And so help them through this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> so I am also, I've, I mentioned this, I mean, it's been a couple years since I've talked about uh, this subject in a message or a ser- series or whatever, but I'm also taking some kind of medication for this. I don't know what it is. My wife knows what it is. That, my children just call it my happy pill. Dad, have you taken your happy pill? It coincidentally, when I'm asking them to do something, or I'm getting irritated because they're idiots. They ask me, Dad, have you taken your happy pill? Which, guess what? Makes me very unhappy <laughs> when they ask me that question. I take two pills. Two pills. Well, the other one's not really a pill. It's a, I don't know what it is. It's a clear thing. Okay. I take two pills, a happy pill and, a, and another pill. Okay. <laughs> yeah, okay. Who's here in second service Sunday morning? Okay, I, you know, sometimes you say things that in your head sound very different. In your head, you're thinking something, and then by the time all the words get out, it's very, very different than what you had thought in your head. What I tried to say Sunday morning was... These pastors are acting like babies, and they need to have their their bottoms spanked like babies. That's what I was trying to say. Okay? So what I said was something along the lines of, just it wasn't healthy. It was just, it it was a total different, by the time it came out, it was not that. Okay? No, we've already cut it. We've edited it. That's the first time I've edited something in maybe ever, maybe ever, but I don't, yeah, I don't want that out online. So as soon as I said it, I was like, what did you just say? So yeah, but my supportive family have kept me reminded of it regularly throughout this week. No, only second service. So, so let me throw something out so you guys can understand the dynamics here. I, sometimes people in our church, and you're not going to believe this, but this is true. Sometimes people in our church pick on me because they don't think I um, treat my family right. I don't edify them enough. I'm too critical. I'm too sarcastic to my family. You have no idea how they treat me. <laughs> you have no idea how they treat me. All right, so we're talking about, we're talking about Nehemiah and all this stuff with Nehemiah. Guys, this, I'm, I'm really enjoying this study, and I'm hoping... I'm hoping you're gaining some really good stuff from this. Um, I, I really do believe that if you can follow the pattern, the ideas that, that we're going to lay out through Nehemiah, and, and some of the things we've already talked about, um, I, think, I think you'll really, I think it can lead you to better spiritual health because you start really processing emotional and mental health in a lot of different ways. Okay? You, you start thinking through. Who, who am I really, and why do I, why do I think certain ways about certain things? 
Why do I bristle at certain contexts or conversations that make no sense? Some, some conversations you should bristle at, but, but you, you understand what I'm talking about. Sometimes you, you'll get irritated about things that you should not be irritated about. Sometimes you'll get frustrated when you shouldn't be frustrated or, or fearful when you shouldn't be afraid. Uh, oftentimes, most, I think all the time, those things are connected to other things. Why, why do you think about people the way that you do? Certain settings and certain situations. Um, why, why can you be too critical of, of some people when there's no legitimate reason? And if you're sitting here saying, no, there's a reason, be careful because there may not be legitimate reason. And you may actually have, it may be your issue. Specifically, if it's a generalization, for example, if you're a guy and you don't like women, or you're a woman and you don't like guys, uh, you're irritated by the opposite sex, or uh, you're irritated by authority, or you're irritated, I mean, you, you, can, you see what I'm saying, you can go down the list, and when you start to think through these things, why do some things cause you certain reactions, mental emotion, and oftentimes, it's connected to stuff in your world and in your life, it's, it's what I would call triggers, Okay? Um, something deep inside of you, and it can get there in a, in a myriad of ways, but something deep inside of you can, can just be fine for long periods of time, and then all of a sudden something triggers it. Okay, um, Something like, let me, let me give you an understanding of what I mean by trigger. Now, this is an extreme, and uh, this is actually in a different kind of category than what I'm talking about, but actually can be connected. Uh, something like claustrophobia. Why did, somebody was talking to me the other day about an MRI. <clears throat> I had an MRI when I, was, when I had my arm done. And um, I love MRIs. They are so peaceful. I'm dead serious. But I don't ever talk to anybody that thinks that. They think they're loud and, and you know, you're nervous. And, and specifically, have any claustrophobia or whatever, it's like this you know, this death sentence. But they put me in the, in the MRI and this thing started, wah, 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 and pretty soon I was sound asleep. I fell asleep and I started turning over and I was like hugging on the pillow and the, and the guy gets in the microphone, uh, Mr. Bottoms, we need you to get back in the position. With you. And I was like, man, this is very soothing. Um, I, don't, I don't know what was happening in my mother's womb that causes me to think that way. But uh, for me, it's soothing. My father-in-law cannot get an MRI. He has to have one of like the open things and all this stuff. And huh? Yeah, they have to put him out. So, uh, so now, now that's that's an extreme category. And I know that um, something like claustrophobia is in a different in a different category than what I'm talking about. But what I am trying to say is that kind of thing where all of a sudden something causes you to react, something causes you to have anxiety or fear or frustration or anger or. Or whatever. A lot of times, those are connected. Things are connected to insecurities. They're connected to frustrations. They're connected to um, um, abuses. They're connected to whatever. They can all kinds of stuff that's going on in our world, right? As we're walking through this stuff in Nehemiah, this this can teach us how to really process and do some some introspective study, and uh, and and come up with some conclusions. Okay. Um. So, wherever you want to in the process, let's talk about some of the things that we've gone over so far in Nehemiah to bring us to this place. What have we looked at? What have we discussed so far? 
Okay? And that, um, in, in my opinion, I can't prove this, but in my opinion, she did more than sit there. She, she um, swayed, helped, helped bring some, um, some sway to that. Okay, what else about the story of Nehemiah? And let's stay with the, just the story. We'll, we'll parallel the Holy Spirit side of it in a second or as we go through it. But, but um, the details of the story up to where we are. Yes. So the rocks of the wall were at, around the base of the wall. But they had to go to Lebanon to get uh, the trees, the timbers. Okay? So, so let's just jump into the spiritual side of that. What, what does that tell us spiritually? If Nehemiah is the Holy Spirit and he's going to rebuild the wall of our lives, um, the Holy Spirit's going to rebuild our walls, what are those two categories? We're going to have to have the Holy Spirit uh, do things. We're going to have to listen. We're going to have to pray. We're going to have to get in with the, the Holy Spirit and let him do some things. So he's going to take from the wall, from our life, he's going to take things that are at the base of the wall, right? So, so in the story, it's um, rocks, stones. For us in the Holy Spirit, if we're really getting in and letting the Holy Spirit do some things, there's going to be some stuff in our life that's redeemable. There are going to, not everything, guys, this is very important. Not everything about your life is just, well, forget it. When you go through a difficult situation, depending on personalities, different personalities are different. Um, Some personalities are, well, just forget it all. Just burn everything to the ground. um, I've got a relative that every time that he gets into a pressure situation, he goes through and just starts like cleaning the house. Now, when I'm talking about cleaning the house, I don't mean like washing the dishes and cleaning the floors. He starts taking loads of stuff and throwing it away. Just throwing stuff away, important stuff, necessary stuff, because that's his reaction. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a compulsion that he reacts to pressure and situations by just, just getting rid of everything because a, a sterile, clean environment to him is a comfort zone. It doesn't matter that you just threw away your lazy boy and your TV. And I'm not exaggerating. He just gets rid of stuff. And guys, not everything in our life just needs to be burned to the ground when we're going through difficult things. And sometimes Satan can get us to that place to think that's the way it is, that there's nothing in our life that is of value. There's nothing redeemable about us or about our, our existence. Or, that's not true. There is. There is redeemable stuff, even through some very horrible tragedies, through some major issues. There's some redeemable stuff. So the first thing we have to do is let the Holy Spirit show us what those things are. Give us some, give us some um, centeredness in Him and His Word and say, okay, these are some of the things that, um, that are redeemable. And so then the next thing is the, the uh, timbers from Lebanon, right? So looking at that in a spiritual aspect in our life is sometimes God has to bring some new, brand new, fresh, you know, the old, the, uh, old, the wine skin, the, uh, the, the, the old wine skin, you can't put new wine in old wine skin kind of thing. Sometimes the, the old stuff has been, literally, the, the timbers were burnt to the ground. You can't put 
You can't put new wine in that. There's nothing, it's, there's nothing valuable there to, to hold that. So you need new. you got a new wine. you got a new wine skin. Sometimes there needs to be some new stuff in our life that God wants to do, some new revelation, some direction, some conviction, some of those kind of things that the Holy Spirit's trying to do. And he's going to do both of those regularly. He's going to work with what we have, and he's going to do some, some new stuff. Now, um, he goes and gets, uh, Nehemiah goes and gets the, the timber from Lebanon. Where does God get new resources to bring into our existence? <clears throat> Any ideas? I've, I've said it maybe ten different ways, but if it, when God's going to bring something new to us, uh, he doesn't, He's not using stuff from our existence. He's using it from Him. From, from Him. And guys, this is important again too. God's using stuff from Him, His, as Scripture says, His abundant resources, from His resources. He doesn't, when God starts dipping into His resources to bring new stuff into our life, it's, it's a majestic, it's supernatural, it's transcendent, and it's not limited to us. So if He's trying to fix something emotionally in our life, and remember, we're creating His image, that includes emotions, so when he dips into his resources to, to help us emotionally in our life, it's brand new. It's powerful. It's, it's supernatural. It's beyond anything we can imagine. We need to get that in our head to understand when he's doing stuff that he can do it on a level that surpasses anything that we've ever experienced, and he can do it instantaneously. We're not, we are not trapped in ourselves. We are not trapped but our existence, we're not trapped by our past. We're not trapped by the, 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 the things of, of our existence right now, the things of our world and the makeup of our world. Right now. We're not trapped by those things. When God dips into his resources, he can do anything supernaturally. And you can do this mentally, emotionally, uh, financially. When God dips into his resources to help you financially, he can do it supernaturally. I, I had um, some, some uh, families, two families come in. This was years ago. Uh, two, two families came into the church the exact uh, same uh, Wednesday night. I, I've talked about them a little before. Uh, two brothers and their wives. And one of the brothers was, was growing weed in his backyard. This was 25 years ago. Growing weed in his backyard. The other, other guy was an alcoholic. And they both came into the service. And I'm talking. This is on a Wednesday night. I'm talking. And the whole time I'm talking, I'm saying things about, um, you know, we're going to give, we're going to, in a little bit, I'm going to give you an opportunity to accept Jesus. And all four of them would raise their hand. This is like while I'm right, like right now. And say, so, you know, in a, in a little bit, we're going to ask Jesus to be in charge of us. And all four of them would raise their hand. And I was like, and then they'd look around and they'd put their hand back down. And then I'd say it again, something along those lines. In a little bit, we're going to give you an opportunity to accept Christ. And all four of them would raise their hand again. It dawned on me, they want to get saved. I'm kind of slow, but I picked up on it after a while. And so, the, the, like the fifth time they raised their hand, I said, you know, do um, you guys want to give your heart to the Lord? And all four of them were like, yes. That's what they came in to do. And, uh, and so, I, I just, we just prayed right there. Let's accept Jesus as our Savior. And the older brother um, eventually became the youth pastor of our church a few years later. And uh, it, just, it was just a pretty neat thing. But so, so they're coming to me, and they're asking questions. They're doing all kinds of stuff. And maybe two or three weeks later, they come up to me on a Wednesday night, and I was talking about finances. And uh, they came up to me and said, can we really uh, start tithing? And God 
fix our finances immediately. And I said, well, here, here's what the scripture says. And I, you know, I'd already talked about it, I went over it again. I said that he will keep, you know, the grapes from falling off the vine and all this stuff. And, and, he's, and it doesn't say if you start tithing um, the next season, the grapes won't fall. It, it appears that he's talking instantaneously. And then, he, and then God says, test me to see if it's true. And, uh, and, and so, so both of them sitting there said, okay, so if we start tithing like right now, uh, God will fix our finances like this week. And I felt very strongly that the Holy Spirit was saying, I can do this. Scott, don't, don't get caught up in your, I don't want to, you know, I know we're supposed to test God, but not that much, you know. So I told him, I said, yes. If God's word says it, who am I to argue with it? In my head, I'm going, I don't know how bad it could be. They haven't told me what their finances are. They know nothing. So, so they sat down literally right there, and they wrote out a check. Both of them wrote out checks, or their wives did while they're sitting there talking. Tithe and just, you know, and I was like, okay, God, <laughs> here we go. This was on you. By that Sunday, this was Wednesday night, by that Sunday, both of them came back, and um, the the brother had got the older brother had got a raise. The younger brother had got a brand new job, and his wife had got a brand new job in three days. And and both of them came back and said, "That's the most amazing thing I've ever seen." And inside, I'm going, "You're correct." <laughs> and then you know, behind the scenes, you're like, "All right, God, way to do what you said you would do." So, um, it, it's interesting how God can do things because why? He's dipping out of His resources. He's not dipping out of our, our resources. He doesn't want our resources in the mix. He doesn't need our resources. I even, I've talked about this in tithing before. You guys understand tithing, your tithe doesn't keep the lights on in heaven. It, it, it does keep them on here. <laughs> but it doesn't, it's not like heaven is waiting for your check to come through. You understand that's a benefit to you. It's an obedience. It's a relationship thing. God really wants to see. Are you serious about this? Are you serious in all things? In fact, I just saw an article. Uh, Jan Bird sent me an article a few days ago, maybe last week. And it was talking about Barna had done some research, and Barna's always up in everybody's business. And he, he's talking about um, that the, the statistical trend right now, the statistics were of pastors asked the question. They asked pastors this question. Um, does does working in the church and volunteering in the church replace, so your time, a tithe of your time, does that replace a financial tithe? 60% of all pastors said definitely strongly disagree with that. And then like 25% more said um, somewhat disagree. And there was like one, two, three percents that were like, I don't know. And uh, so then they asked the average person in church, can, if you volunteer your time, does that mean you don't have to, can it replace your financial tithe? And it was overwhelmingly, like 80% of the average church person said, yes, if they volunteer time, they don't have to give financially. That's, it will be considered a tithe of time, and so they don't, they're not obligated to some type of financial tithe. And guys, here's the thing with this. This is, this is the way I, anytime anybody asks me about this, the, the simple answer, the simple answer is, do what you want. But the rest of that is, but then you have to be accountable to it. If you believe that you do not have to financially tithe, then you're going to be financially accountable to that decision. And Scripture says the way you keep the, the, 
the efforts of your labor from falling to the ground and rotting is you tithe. He rebukes the devourer, the guy that's always scratching and taking. That's Satan. Satan's always trying to take and take and take and take and take. The way you, the way you stop that from happening, the way you keep Satan at a distance and God's in charge of your finances is you tithe. Now, if you tithe your time, which is an important thing to do too, that's, that's um, stewardship also. If you tithe your time, then when it comes to time, God will rebuke the devourer of your time, but not your money. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? It's what, it's what you are involved in that God is in charge of. If you give him whatever this is, he's in charge of that, and he takes care of you in the process. If that's your family, God takes care of your family. If that's your time, God takes care of your time. If it's your finances, God takes care of your finances. But if you're not going by the biblical standard of those things, then God's not in charge of it. He's not going to be in charge. So so now let's come back to the concept of uh, uh, spirit, soul, mind, all these other things. We've got to learn how to say, God, you are in charge of me. I give you my mind. I give you my emotions. I give you my, my existence. I give you my soul. I give you me. So then he says, okay, I'm in charge of that stuff. I'm going to use some of the stuff in your life that's redeemable, and then I'm going to dig out of my resources. You decide the category, Okay. God, I give you this part of me. Then I'm going to dig out of my resources to help you in that area. And this is why, and, I, and it took me a long time to really see this and understand this. This is why I've seen some people that really have, you know, this area of their life is really solid, this area, and then this part of their life is just crumbling apart. And almost invariably, that is, that is because they have not given God that part. Now, I'm not saying... You give God those parts, and nothing bad happens. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm talking about consistency over time of this particular area of their life is just crumbling, 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 crumbling. You can see this over long term is what I'm talking about. I don't mean an attack, a temporary attack. Well, that's because we've got to learn to give God all areas of our life. And coming back to what I was talking about earlier with the mentality of depression and those kind of things, I had had a a track record, years and years, a couple decades, a track record of not giving God two or three specific areas of my life, okay? And, and Satan systematically used that over time, over time, and drug me into a pit of depression. And, and it wasn't because I was being rebellious to God or anything it's because I had not really let God be in charge of those areas of my heart, my mind, my spirit. And they weren't like sin issues. Um, I, I can explain a co- um, couple basic understandings for you. It would take a while to, un- to vet the whole thing, but uh, one of the basic things was to really understand in my spirit that God is the one that's in charge of everything and I'm not. Okay? Um, in fact, we, we were just having this conversation a few weeks ago, some people in our last church were talking about the fact that Lynn and I just never took vacations. Um, you know why I didn't take vacations? There was a few reasons, but one of the main reasons 
was because how can the church possibly operate without me there? Right? I, I'm going to go away for a week, and, and everybody in the church is going to spiritually dry up. Everything is going to fall apart. There's going to be a visitor, and that visitor is not going to come back. You know what I have found over the years? When a visitor shows up and the pastor's not there, they come back at least once more because they want to see the pastor. But I can promise you, many visitors that meet the pastor on their first visit don't come back. I'm talking about this pastor. <laughs> so, so if I go away more, they stay longer. So I don't know. But I, I literally thought the kingdom of God was going to crumble if I wasn't there. Why? Insecurities, control, um, pride, but not, I don't think pride is the right term. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe some narcissism that says it, the, the, this place can't function without me. Now, I, I still don't take a lot of vacations nowadays. I do way, way more than I ever did. Um, but that's just because I don't got nowhere to go and don't have any money. But now that we got a grandbaby, we're going to be gone a whole lot more. We're going to be gone a whole lot more. We're still in the no money category right now, but, but we're going to fix that because i got a check-in, i got savings, and i got... So that's, that's a comedian thing. So, um, so some of that is, you know, you do that year after year after year after year after year, and you have no outlet, you have no release, you have no time off, you have no... Um, relaxation, you have no get away from it mentality, and you, you begin to slowly bury yourself, and bury yourself, and bury yourself. Um, so guys, we got to figure out, God, if I'm going to let you be in charge, and you're going to pull from your resources, then i got to truly let you be, i got to give this to you, whatever it is, got to give it to you. Ego, that's, that's more than pride, it's ego, that's what I was looking for. Um, is ego. Ego says, I, I, I have to be there. I have to, you know. And, um, and I just don't, I mean, I'm, I'm very much a different person nowadays than I was 15 years ago in this category. Uh, just to say, God, it really is you. It's your church. It's not mine. These people are your people. They're not, they're not my people, Anna. Yeah, sounds good on paper. It's getting that into your heart, you know. It's getting, but it's but it's true. Uh, which which really means if 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 that is if my control if those are my control issues, and that's my ego talking and those all those kind of things, then really me having to be there week after week is not only harming me, it's harming the church. It, it harms everybody in the process, and so, um, so to be able to say, okay, God, I give you whatever. I give you I give you my workplace. I mean, I'm I'm talking about the church, but your workplace. I give you my workplace. It's not mine, it's yours. I didn't I didn't get this job. You got it for me, God. And so it's yours. And I don't mean this in a, in a negative way or a sarcastic way, but the mentality I was looking for a job and I found this one. You know? 
Okay, but if you put that into a spiritual context, God's the one who does these things in our life. We put way too much emphasis on all of the things that is us. Yeah, we, you know, we may have gone to school or we may have got this training or we may have you know, worked hard to get us into this place or whatever. But even the fact that you had the ability to do that's a God thing. So you got to say, okay, God, even my brains or whatever, you gave me this stuff. So I've got to let you be in charge instead of holding on to it, holding it, holding it onto it too close kind of thing. So, okay, so continuing with this. So um, resources from God, that was some that are already there, some other resources. Okay, remember we talked about this last week. If Nehemiah is the Holy Spirit and he brings the army with him, um, who is the army on the spiritual level? Who is for us? Who is the army? You guys remember what we talked about? Anything? Remember, he, he shows up with the letters of authority and all this other stuff, but then all these horsemen and soldiers and stuff. Um, God sends angels to take care of us, ministering angels, protecting angels, all that kind of stuff, guarding angels. And again, I mentioned out of uh, Psalms 91, um, uh, where, where it says the angels, th- this is the same scripture that, that's, that um, Satan tries to turn against Jesus and says, won't the angels protect you and keep you from stubbing your toe, you know, when, he, when Jesus is in the wilderness? And, uh, and Jesus quotes back, you know, God is the one that's in charge. And so he's taking that out of Psalms 91, that the angels, the angels will, will um, protect him and keep him from stumbling. So, so I believe that that means that it's more than one angel, that we have more than one angel connected to our lives, right? Because I've heard people talk about your guardian angel, like in a singular sense, and then, and then <clears throat> specifically when I was growing up, <clears throat> people would say if you, you know, uh, the, your guardian angel gets out of the car at 55, right, or 56 or whatever, um, and again, I don't believe that. I've told you this before. I don't believe it. you. You can totally disagree with me on this. Hold me to task for whatever, but my, that my guardian angels, there's a lot more than one. My guardian angels like to go fast. They've told me. They tell me, push a little more. You got this. Um, God sends us guardian angels to protect us. I'll give you a, just a process thought. It's staying with that mentality, because there's a little bit of legalism mentality wrapped up in that. But, um, but here's the thing. Do you need your guardian angel at 55 or 85? Just throwing that out there, just for you to process. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, now, um, so that brings us to, uh, let's go to, back to Nehemiah, and let's go to uh, Nehemiah chapter 2 again. And we're going to go down to, um, how about verse 10? Let's go down to, let me get there. This is dragging on me a little bit. All right, now, this is, this is a big one. So, this is the very end of the section that we've, that we've come down to. Um, well, let me start in verse 9. When I came to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, I delivered the king's letters to them. Remember, I came in authority. I have the authority of the king behind me. 
The king, I should add, had also sent along army officers and horsemen to protect me. But when Sambalat, the Horonite, and Tobiah, the Ammonite, official, heard of my arrival, they were very displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Now, if you're following this from a, um, from a literature point of view, this is, if you're in a, an old school vaudeville kind of moment, this is when everybody starts hissing and booing. Why? Because these guys are, are the antagonists. These guys are the bad guys. This is a snively or whatever, you know, whatever. This is the bad guys that enter into the scene, you know, enter stage right, uh, Sanballat and Tobiah. And for the rest of this story, those two guys are, are a thorn in not only Nehemiah's side, but all of the Israelites that are trying to rebuild these walls. They're constantly, constantly, constantly at it, Adam and Adam and Adam. Now, here's the interesting thing for me. They are displeased that someone had come to help the people of Israel. Why would they be so displeased? What would it matter to them? They don't even, it, it says there where they're from, they're not even from that specific area, the, 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 the basic region, but they're not, they're not residing within the walls of Jerusalem. So why do they care if these guys rebuild these walls? They're going to lose control. That's the biggest one probably. Um, I also believe that this category is involved here that I think is, is important for us to kind of process into our world right now. You will come across some people in your life that do not want you to do good. And they have nothing to base it on except they don't want you to do good. That's it. Sometimes they're family members. Sometimes they're co-workers. Sometimes they're just people in the world, your next door neighbors. You know, they're just whatever. I've seen this. In my years of ministry, I've seen this with pastors. Some pastors just get so jealous and mean. And, and you're thinking, what, 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 what about what we're doing here has anything to what you're doing wherever you are? Why? Why does it bother you so much? I've never, I've never understood that. What does it matter what is happening here? You know, the idea, some guys, the moment they see a mega church pastor, well, well, that guy compromised. That guy's a horrible guy. I can just tell you right now. There's no way, there's no way his church is that big if he didn't compromise. You, you know what I hear when I hear a pastor talking like that? I hear, you're jealous because you didn't do anything with what God's giving you. And you say, well, that's not fair. It's just as fair as his statement. Right? It's, I, don't, I don't actually believe that, but that type of statement, I, I'll give you one, you don't really hear this, it's usually the opposite, but it would be the same as me going to a pastor of a small church, say 40 people in a church, and telling them, you're just a loser. I can guarantee you're not doing what God has said or your church would be growing. Well, that's not fair. That's not legitimate. You don't know any of the context of what they're involved with. You know nothing. So why do we do that with a guy that pastors a church of 10,000? 
One of the largest churches in the nation is Life Church, and uh, Craig Rochelle is probably one of the best pastors I have ever come across and seen in my life. Just an amazing guy, powerfully spirit-filled, great teacher, great leader, all these kind of things. Right? It's let's not let's not try to categorize because that's jealousy. That's that's it's arrogance. It's whatever. I mean, there's all kinds of categories, Anna. Yes. Now that's the spiritual side to what I'm talking about. Sometimes people just don't want you to move forward. Just don't. Well, there's no possible way that you can tell me that that has not got some spiritual connection somewhere. When somebody is just that mean, just uh, manipulative or conniving, they just don't want you to do well. That's because there's some. There's not only insecurities or whatever going on there. There's also a spiritual element there, because that is. That is how Satan operates. That is Satan's um, M.O. So, so recognize some of this stuff. Recognize what's going on. So when we see that immediately Sanballat and Tobiah, immediately they're just against this. It doesn't matter, just against this. And I've dealt with this in church before, that, um, that no matter what you present as a pastor, you, you know, the mentality of... Um, as a pastor, I look at it like the pitcher in a baseball team. Uh, the pitcher in the baseball team gets way too much credit when things go well and way too much credit when things don't go well, right? Um, th- does a lot of responsibility lie on the pitcher? Yes, but you're not as good as everybody says and you're not as bad as everybody says. I tell pastors that all the time. Just try to, I had a pastor tell me that years ago, and it took me a long time to really listen to what he had said. You're not near as good as everybody says you are, and you're not near as bad as everybody says you are. Some people are just going to disagree with whatever you say, no matter what it is, just because you said it. Why? Because sometimes people just have some things going on inside their spirit that it doesn't matter. And, and as a pastor, you, you put, you, you're in a position that's an authority, but spiritual, and, and, um, and there could be a bunch of stuff to it, Okay. But, but some people are just going to resist no matter what. There's a little rebellion thing. There's a little. I'm not saying every time somebody disagrees with me, they're wrong and I'm right. I'm not going to say that out loud. But that's not, that's not what's happening. Sometimes I'm, I'm truly wrong. I'm truly made a bad decision. Um, you know, the verdict's still out on this whole bulletin thing. <laughs> <We're>, <laughs> we'll see. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, it's um, so, but I, you know, sometimes you make a decision and, and five years later, you're like, mm, why did I do that? You know, it seemed good at the time, but, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying that some people are just disagreeing with everything. That's a different mentality. That's a different spirit because it's a spiritual thing and a, a emotional, mental. There's a bunch of stuff all wrapped up there together that's going on. And so here, let, let's use this for us real quick. Guys, be careful when there are, and I'm not saying it everything in your life, but there may be a specific person or a specific um, uh, place in your world where no matter what is presented, you just are going to disagree with it. C- catch yourself. Let the Holy Spirit uh, uh, convict you. Let the Holy Spirit tell you, hey, come on. That's not right. Everything they do is wrong. 
everything they do is wrong? I've actually got a few people in my head. I'm like, yeah, yeah it's, uh, everything. But that, that's our issue. That's not their issue. If everything they do is wrong in your eyes, then you're the problem. It's not them. Okay, so, so think about that kind of stuff, Tom. Yeah. Now, I think everybody should have a passion and desire to see people get saved. That doesn't necessarily translate into your church is going to get big in the process, okay? Um, because some people do want a smaller church atmosphere, but you should never drag your feet when it comes to winning people to the Lord. All right. Now, with that being said, you can take a small church, medium, large church, and there's goods and bads to every single thing. There are some things that we're very limited in on our size right now. Um, we're too big for certain things to go comfortably. And we're way too small for some things to go comfortably. Uh, I would love for our church to be much bigger for the process of ministry and those kind of things. But you guys have heard me say this over and over. I don't have a church growth plan because I don't think growing the church itself is the purpose is I don't think that's the point. I think winning people to the Lord and doing what the Lord has said is the point. And I believe when you have certain visions, certain directions, God will bring people alongside that will accomplish some of those things. For example, our, our, um, our uh, deaf ministry, we spend thousands of dollars every month on that. Thousands. We really believe in it. We think it's important. We think it's necessary. Um, I feel like I'm picking on the deaf community with them not here, but we don't always see the returns of what we were trying to accomplish with that. It's hit or miss sometimes, but we still believe in the vision of it, regardless of whether it's, it's being played out the way that we want it to be played out. If our church was 50 people, 60 people smaller, it would be very challenging. to. Well, we wouldn't be able to do the deaf ministry, not the way we're doing it. We'd have to do it volunteer and all this other stuff which usually means it'll last about a year or two, and then it'll go away. Okay, um, So this is a vision that, at the size we're at, it still is very challenging to us financially to accomplish some of these things. Uh, this whole summer, we've been in the red every month this summer um, because people also go on vacations in summertime and take their tithe. So <laughs> we've been in the red. If we had twice as many people, there's two or three things right now that we would really like to start, but we can't because of the size of our facility, and because of some of the, the limitedness of our resources. So when you go into one of the things that I was looking at online the other day, um, 
Pastor Mary had showed us a, um, a um, website of a church, and we, we do this every now and then where we'll look at a church, look at the website, and look at the ministries, and that's one of the things that I thought she was in here, and Pastor Mary does in our staff meeting, and she looks at the website, and she'll critique it for us, and then we'll discuss it. Okay, she brings us a website, and we discuss it. And uh, we were going down through this, and this church had a um, special needs ministry in their church. That, that takes some, some resources. That's not an easy, that's a very difficult ministry to do. But I would love to have that. M- more than I can verbalize, I would love to have that. Um, I would sacrifice other things to get that. But because of that, our church would have to be at least twice as large as we are now. With, for manpower and for resources and those kind of things. It would just have to be. So there are some benefits to having larger churches. But here's another thing about a larger church. One of the negatives of a larger church is I know people, I know people that have left this church to go to a large church so they can get lost and not have to do anything. They have admitted that to me. What? Guys, we got to be doing. If you're not doing, you're, you're, you're dying along the way. you got to be doing. Put your hands to something. Put your gifts to something. Put your time and your energy to, to a ministry, to a moment, to a child, to, a, to a, an outreach. Do something. God's wired you this way. Do something. Well, a church our size makes this very good. I, I taught a good friend of mine, pastors Timberline Church up in Fort Collins, and they run well over 10,000 now. And uh, they have multiple satellite locations, all kinds of stuff. I was sitting at lunch with him one time, and he told me, this is when his church was about 2,500. And I was, I was going up there every week and spending time with their staff. I was, I was using it as a mentoring um, group, okay? Their whole staff, not him specifically, but just everybody. And, uh, they, and I went to everything. I went to their staff meetings. I went to board meetings. I just did everything. And I was at least once a week. And so one time we were sitting at lunch, and... Um, and he said, you know, I'm, they were about to move into their new building. And when they went, moved into their new building, they had about 2,500 people in their church. Within eight or nine months, they were running four to 5,000 just because they had the facilities to accommodate their ministry, which, which is a struggle that we have here. We get up to 300. We drop down to 200. We get up to, we've done that four times since I've been here because we, we max out around 300. When, when people are standing in line with seven people in front of them to go to the bathroom, they're going to go to a different church the next week. They, they just are. Not, not everybody, but some people will. When you're, when you're stacking kids like cordwood in classrooms downstairs, it doesn't matter how good the ministry is or the, whatever. Parents don't want that kind of thing. And so, either way, they exploded. It went from 2,500 to 4,000 as they were getting ready to move into their new building. And I was going up there during that time they moved into their new building. We're sitting in lunch, and, and he, he, the pastor said to me, he said, I was standing there. They moved in right around Easter time frame. And he said, and I'm standing in my office. It's on the second floor looking kind of down over the parking lot. He said, I'm standing in my office, and people are lined up to go. This is in the new building, lined up going in the doors. He said, thousands and thousands of people. And he said, I stood there for a second, and I thought to myself, I don't think I can do this. And he said, I began to pray right there. This is like, you know, Easter morning, t- 10 minutes before service. I'm like, Derry, you really, is this the moment that you really want to have this conversation? With God? And he's like, God, do you want me to do this? Because I don't think I can do this. I don't, is, are, are, am I supposed to be the pastor of this church? Because it's way out of my control. 
And I, so I asked him, I said, Derry, what is your perfect size of a church? What do you think, if you could just choose, no limited, you just, this is what I enjoy the most. He said about 800 people. And I said, why? He said, because I know everybody. I know their kids. I know their families. I go to the baseball parks and I know them. He said, I go to Walmart now and people are saying, hey, Pastor Derry. I don't have a clue who they are. I've never seen them in my life. He said, but a church of about 800, I, I know everybody. And he took about a year that he really spent a lot of time praying, God, do you really want me to do this? Because this is outside of my comfort zone. Because there's good opportunities in larger, there's, there's good opportunities in smaller. There's also bad things in smaller and bad things in larger. The smaller the church, the more one person can hurt the place. It's just truth. Right now, one person can start attending new life and cause a big old ruckus, and it won't even make a ripple. And cause a big old ruckus, unless it's the pastor. <laughs> that, that makes a bigger splash. But it doesn't cause problems. Our church is kind of, we're in that change over time. If somebody really wants to cause a problem here, um, it would cause some problems, but the, it wouldn't crush the place. Okay? You take a church of 30 people, and one family says, we're done, we're pulling our money, that church may go under. And I've seen it happen. So there's, there's goods and bads in all of this stuff. Because our responsibility is just check our heart and say, God, what do you want me to do? But I can promise you, get engaged. Do something. If you're not doing something, do something. Do something. Just whatever it is, do something. Start a Bible study at work, do something. You need to be engaged building the kingdom, okay? So then next week, we're going to break down how Satan begins to pick out some things. So I want to read this to you, and I want you to think about this. This is how Satan works. Okay, remember, what is Satan's um, only weapon? What's that? Lies. That's the only thing Satan has against you. They're called fiery darts. Lies is the only thing Satan can bring against you. Okay? So here's how he works. He uses lies, and these are the, the categories under that. Fear, uh, depression, and oppression. Uh, doubt, defeat, discouragement, those are the things that Satan uses against us. Do you realize those are all right here? And then they affect, but they start here and then they affect. When you begin to listen to Satan's lies, he can bring in doubt, he can bring in fear, he can bring in, but you've got you to listen. If you don't listen to what Satan has, and you just, I, I, uh, Smith Wigglesworth one time, he walked up to a bus stop. And there was this lady there with this little tiny dog on a leash, and the dog was just, and he just, and he stood there for a long time, and they're waiting for the bus, and the dog just never stopped. And finally, he just slammed his foot down on the ground and said, get out of here, dog. And that dog took off running and broke the leash. And everybody stood around there all looking at him. He says, that's how you're supposed to deal with Satan. I never found out, the story doesn't ever say anything about the dog. That's just what Smith Wigglesworth said. That's how you're supposed to deal with Satan. He is a little yippy dog. You tell him to get out of here. You don't listen. You don't listen to what he's saying. Guys, it is so easy for me to say that and so difficult for all of us to process on a regular, consistent basis. How easily do we begin to listen to Satan's lies? So many lies. So much stuff that he's trying to attack us with. We can't do that. So, so next week, we're going to start looking at how does Nehemiah deal with Sanballat and Tobiah? How does he deal with Satan? How does he, 
how does, how does Nehemiah handle this stuff? Because we, this is where we're going to start digging into how we're going to deal with uh, how Satan lies to us. Okay, so let me pray for us, all right? God, we thank you so much for you. And uh, Lord, we know that you have, every one of us here, you have our, our, our best interest at your heart. And um, God, that you've got a plan for us, and your plan is, is great. It's wonderful. Lord, you have, you have plans to, uh, to help us mentally and emotionally, to rebuild us uh, spiritually, to rebuild relationships. How do we think about you and other people? And God, I pray against any of the stuff that crumbles walls in our life, fear and doubt, discouragement, depression, all these kind of things. God, that you're the, you're the king and you're the one that's in charge. Help us to see that and to go there. Lord, to, to let you truly build the stuff, rebuild the stuff in our life that's been kicked down or, or, um, or we've let Satan just continue to scratch away at it and, and, and tear at it. And, and God, there's some, there's some gaps. So Lord, we give ourselves to you. We give ourselves to you mentally and emotionally, spiritually. Help us to follow you in Jesus' name. Help us to follow you in the path that you're laying out before us that, that can lead us to, to getting some, some really good health in some areas that maybe we've been struggling in. Lord, we're going to follow that path. In the name of Jesus, we trust you. We trust you with all things. We pray this all for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. That's a wrap. All ashore who's going ashore.